It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. And now, a Brian Kilmeade Show special presentation. Education in America. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. I'm Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening to our 4th of July special. I hope you're having a red, white, and blue holiday. And remember how great this country is. I also want to remember where this country's been as I try to chronicle all the time with my books. The latest one, Teddy and Booker T. Don't blame yourself if you haven't read it yet. It's not published. It's coming out soon. But as I look back in America's past and see the, the, the bumps we had in the road and how we overcame them, I also want to tackle in this 4th of July special some of the bumps in our road right now. Focusing on, drumroll please, education. Huge problem. Basic civics in our country. How many really understand the difference between the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution? Sadly, not too many people know the difference or the need to read the Constitution, which is insane. That really alerted Richard Dreyfuss, the outstanding actor, the uh, Academy Award-winning actor, to take action. He's like, I think we should be pushing civics. He wrote a book about it. He talks about it. Uh, And Richard Dreyfuss is going to be on uh, this hour. Also going to be joined by a book that was number one for week after week in our country. Now, I know Fox books do well because you guys are so passionate uh, about the topics, the issues, and you're so loyal to the talent. But Pete Hegseth and his co-author, um, his, his co-author did such a great job. His name is David Goodwin and the battle for the American mind, uprooting a century of miseducation. They put together an hour special on it. They did other specials about it, talking about it in great detail, doing a, a national tour on it because After COVID, we all sat there and looked at the curriculum, saw how kids struggled in some cases, or saw how inner city kids who didn't have internet connection or single parent families were forced on their own and they just didn't learn. Grades dropped in math and reading across our country. So we're worried about the performance. We're also worried about the curriculum. So battle for the American mind, the focus on civics, what perfect topics to talk about in the state of our country on the birth date of our country. We're coming up to year 250 in our background. I still remember 1976. I was in sixth grade, the bicentennial, a big deal. Will 250 years be a big deal? Will people fully understand our country? That's going to be key. So as we talk about what's happening with education in the future, you focus on the fundamentals and we'll go back in time with that. So have a chance to talk to Pete. You'll hear from David Goodwin and hear from Richard Dreyfus. And then I also want to hear from you. And you don't have to agree with anything Pete says, everything Richard Dreyfus says. It doesn't matter. They care about the country. They want to see it go in the right direction. And most of all, what I hope you'll end the hour with is saying, I would like my kids to have a choice. And if you're living the paycheck to paycheck, it's just not fair that you can't just choose the private institution you might want to send your kid to. And that's why school choice is so important in places like Arizona, Florida, Iowa, and Oklahoma, and many more. This is our 4th of July special on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Richard Dreyfuss, next. This is a Brian Kilmeade Show special presentation. Education in America. More with Brian coming up. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Who is Joe Biden's vice president? 
I have honestly no idea. Ooh, great question. No idea. Tamara. I mean, what is it? Kamala Harris. Can you name the three branches of government? The... Oh, um... Republican, Democrat, and then I think moderate. <laughs> Legislation, judicial, and consecutive. I don't know. Jew. Jew. Jewish? Who is the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court? Judge Judy. <laughs> Didn't it used to be Nancy Pelosi? John... Cena. John Stewart? How many senators are there? Two per state, like 200. 60? Five, six, 50. 35. 64. Higher. 82. Higher. 103. Lower. 98. Higher. 99. Higher. 101. Lower. 100. Who was president in the 90s? Kennedy. Ronald Reagan. His wife famously lost an election. Hilton. Paris. Clinton was. Bill or Hillary? Bill. That's right. Hillary will never be president. So that is an example. We went to, uh, we brought the microphones out and we asked people some basic things. You see it on uh, some of the late night shows too. Uh, that was for Jesse Waters' show, just about what, how little people know about what's going on in the news today and certainly about history. Uh, Richard Drivis with us now, Academy Award winning actor and author of One Score, One Thought Scares Me. We teach our children what we wish them to know. We don't teach our children what we don't wish them to know. And Richard, great to see you in studio. Thank and if you. you're watching Fox Nation, you recognize him from every film that was any good. Um, <laughs> so, so, Richard, you were listening to that. And what did you just tell me? While, while they you were going to blame the kids and not really aim correctly because it's what they're taught and what they're not taught. And teachers are not the guilty party, but it's the policymakers who say, don't teach that. And uh, school boards and you cannot uh, blame teachers and and then of course pay them like kitchen help um, you have to really commit to an honest history and when you do that you have to live up to it and that means every sin we've ever committed and we have committed sins every sin we've committed Every grand gesture we've committed, we have to be – we have to have the, the same bragging rights for right. those as we have for telling the truth about yeah. our past. So, Richard, I'm reading your book, and you talk about uh, – you're concerned. People don't understand how great this country is. We right. never said you're perfect. But you talk, You grew up – you always loved – you personally love reading history, yeah. love reading about our past. It's fascinating. There's no history quite like it. Right. It doesn't mean we walk on water and that Jefferson was perfect and that Washington never made a mistake. But <laughs> the world is a better place because America exists. Yes. And you're concerned like I am that people might not realize that they'll live here. Well, you had uh, – one day I was watching Denise D'Souza on, uh, on Mike Huckabee. And he was saying that he had written a book called America, What the World Would Be Like Without Us. And I got up, went to the bookstore, bought the book, came back home, read the book, and then went grumpy because in his book he didn't answer his title. He had named it, but he didn't get anywhere near answering it. So they called me that day, Mike. 
and said, you want to come down and be on the show? And I said, yes. And I walked in, and there was a D'Souza, and I said, what did you think? And I said, uh, I'm very confused and frustrated because you had an incredibly provocative title, and I want to see that world because I think that would be an incredible history class. What would the world be like without us? Wow. But you didn't. All you did was say how great we were. You didn't compare it. But Yeah, I think if Dinesh D'Souza, I think in a way he's saying, look at how we changed the world by our existence, how many democracies had come from there, giving people a say in their government. But you see, they don't know that there was a change. So that wasn't the um, thoughtful uh, conclusion of their thinking. They didn't, he didn't compare it to anything. He just described how great we were. And, and if he had compared it to any country, whether it was England or Russia or China or whoever, that would have been of some value. Gotcha. So, so what, do you, what do you want to get across to our listeners right now? Well, a lot of things, but there was a revolution. And there's a revolution only when you turn the values of the entire world on their head. And that's what we did. We turned the power of the sovereign, kicked the sovereign out, and handed that power to all of the people. And that was not only not done, that was as revolutionary a move as you can possibly create. And we risked the nation on that idea that we could confidently educate our poorest and educate our most enslaved and they would be smart enough to run the country or to create art or to create this or that. And they were out to create intellectual resource pools and know, and know that the people swimming around in those pools we're all going to be smart enough to be president or senator yep. or something. And they weren't ever educated that well. And I would say they tried to and gave it a good shot for a long time. And then after World War II, they said, I don't think it's good to risk our children on this anymore. And they threw it away. Who's they? Uh, educators, educators and politicians. And you write in your book that after World War II, it's our zenith. You know, we freed the world, we beat the bad guys, we led right. the world, and we rebuilt the places that we blew up. <laughs> That's right. With the Marshall Plan. And, and, we, and we didn't um, brag about it. We did it. We did good things, not talked about them. And all over the world, people admired us for all the right reasons. And before you could blink, they had removed civics, the study of the Constitution, the study of the Bill of Rights, the birth tale of America. These things had always been taught. And now they were not, uh, they didn't disappear. They were turned over to social studies, which is one 
floor up and in the back of the so building. Yeah. And they were turned from actual events in our history to a gentle panorama as a description of our way of life. And, and I remember one politician came out recently and said, you know, America was never that great. You know, and maybe contrast to uh, a president that said America, make America great again. But what I always think is people think when you say a country is great, it's perfect. And you make clear in your first words in your book, you never said that. But I think what makes us great, these are my words, is that we try to be. That we try to make it better. We uh, identify it. One party identifies, another party identifies, and we try to make it better. Was right. slavery right? Absolutely not. Do we, do we fight a war to fix it? Yes. Jim Crow terrible? Absolutely. Did we? Is there black and white water fountains now in the South? Are people telling go to the back of the buses? No. We we owned up to it. Riots in the streets. It wasn't pleasant. It wasn't pretty. But we fixed it. And we again are still this country that wants to be better and better. And you're concerned that we don't understand that. We don't want the same things we used to want. And I hope to God we relearn that ambition and relearn that um, goal. Because I have seen audiences acquire outrage on their faces when you describe what's happened. And they're outraged that their children are not getting what they should. Well, they come and back I have, with negative things about And I have seen those same parents have outrage disappear from their faces before they get to their car. And the commitment of making it work disappears. And what is that commitment? It's the commitment to the idea that Jefferson wrote that said that these people, we are the sovereign power in this country. We have the same power in collective as the monarch and the sovereign. Now, do we know that? Do we act on that? Or some in alch- in some sick alchemic way when we vote and we're voting some guy in he thinks he's been made our boss and he's not only not our boss but somehow we've got to get across to him mm-hmm. if you don't listen to your constituency if you don't listen to us who put you there we will rip you out of that office so fast you would not blink. Right. And they are absolutely impervious to that because they know that we don't have the guts or the knowledge to do it. So also, Richard Dreyfuss, our guest, you recognize the voice, of course. If you're not watching Fox Nation, you're not seeing them. We're privileged to have him here. He's also got the Dreyfus Civics Institute, a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization launched in 08. It aims to revive the teaching of civics in American public education to empower future generations with the critical thinking skills they need to fulfill the vast potential of American citizenship. It's up to all our responsibilities to do it. Now, amongst us, uh, Richard, there's been some great presidents along the way that we didn't know were great at the time. Like, look at Harry Truman. Name me a top five category when they rank presidents. He's not great or near great along the way. Right. He can't, the guy's a farmer. You know, right. uh, with everything of Andrew Jackson, the big pluses, this guy is a self-made success story. He was basically an orphan by 13. No other country does that happen. It wasn't the ruling class of Jefferson, Monroe, and Washington, and uh, and Madison. Then all of a sudden you get an outsider who's president because he campaigned and he went to the people. Well, there's and, a whole – you can create a list. It starts with Thomas Jefferson 
and it ends somewhere in the 20th century. And it's the list of those presidents who happened to be in office when there was a crisis and every other branch of government was closed for the summer or closed, we've gone fishing. So that Thomas Jefferson had to create a navy to answer the Tripoli pirates and Jeff and Lincoln had to do what he did in order to respond to the Southern secession. So, and I think it's so important too. Nobody would have predicted that Lincoln was going to amount to be this great leader. Right. Only in this country does it happen. And when you talk about Thomas Jefferson, this guy didn't want to get a he didn't want to get a platoon together to help fight the war, a militia together to help fight the war. Yeah. But he ends up one saying, telling uh, Adams, "I need this navy, and we're going to have to tell the whole world we're willing to fight for our freedom." And had to send a message. Yep. An unlikely person, a great intellect. A guy who would have voted against that Navy in a second. And yet, because he was president, he knew what he had to do. Right. Yeah. And I'll bring you to another one that I think you could appreciate and you brought up before the show, Sam Houston. Sam Houston is a guy that was not achieving much as a kid. His brothers were much more enterprising, joins the military, finds a mentor in Jackson, has some problems. He drank too much for a while, had a problem with his marriage. Governor would just leave and with the American Indians. But then at the right person at the right time, when the war is about to start in the South, he's like, I, we're not going to do well. We should not get into this war. And they said, hey, if you don't vote for this war uh, as governor, you're out. And he's like, I quit. So he left rather than fight for the South in the breakup of a country. That's character. Yes, that's character. And we don't even think to include that in our little list of checks and boxes and and what do we care about? If we cared about character, we would not have had the last number of presidents. So one thing I get from you, you're a patriot. You feel fortunate to be born here and you're concerned that people don't appreciate it and you're taking action. Well, without America, yikes. I mean, uh, just imagine 1945 without the United States of America. So that's Richard Dreyfus, everybody. Uh, I'd love to have him in the studio. In fact, after this, we decided he'll do the Saturday show. So he came back and did it. And listen, he's a deep thinker, cares about the country, always interested in insight. We don't agree on much politically, but we respect each other enough to debate. I think that's important. Am I correct? When we come back, the great Pete Hegseth talks about his book, The Battle for the American Mind, and David Goodwin is his uh, co-author. Thanks for listening to this special edition of The Brian Kilmeade Show, 4th of July. Welcome back, everybody. As promised, Pete Hegseth and David Goodwin sat down with me to talk about their book, Battle for the American Mind, Uprooting a Century of Miseducation. You will love this interview. So you're one of the few people I understand that was not surprised by this 1619 uh, movement. You saw this stuff coming. We did. We I, I couldn't have predicted exactly how it came, but uh, we certainly knew that they'd set the beachhead up uh, and we knew where they were coming. We just didn't know what they were going to do when they got there. When did they start attacking the curriculum in schools? Oh, boy, 1915. They redesigned the curriculum from the ground up uh, at about that time for Gary, Indiana, at a model school that they had there. They ran that for a few years, and when it was successful enough, they moved it to New York. And that's where a lot of our research came in is what uh, the uh, people of New York were talking about when they brought that here. And what year are you talking about? 1915, 1918, somewhere in there. 1918, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then what was the goal? 
Well, the goal was societal change. It it was a recognition that uh, the traditional values of Western civilization and biblical wisdom prevented the kind of radical social change, atheistic change, frankly, that they wanted. So you had to remove God first. Once you did, there was a lot of power in the classroom. In fact, those early progressives talked about studying what uh, Frances Willard did in 1870s when she put anti-alcohol curriculum in third grade classrooms. Voila, 40 years later, you had a constitutional amendment banning alcohol and the sale of alcohol in America. The philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation can be the philosophy of government in the next. Progressives studied that, targeted the school, removed God, and and then thought the the sky's the limit and look at what we see today. Right. And was there – at one point was drinking allowed in school like uh, the early days? Do you have your research revealed? Maybe in the one-room schoolhouse. Yes. Really, you could bring beer to school. On Long Island. Right, on Long Island, yes. where I'm from, not Minnesota, <laughs> no. where they grow them bigger. Um, meanwhile, so so when did you first come across David? Well, it was it's actually a product of Fox and Friends. So you might be able to say that because of Brian Kilmeade and Fox and Friends and diner segments, this entire project came together. And I'm not kidding. I was at a diner in North Carolina. I met a wonderful family that went to a classical Christian school there in Whispering Pines. They said, you got to meet this guy, David Goodwin, who wins the, uh, runs the Association of Classical Christian Schools. We connected. I was passionate about education, wanted to get more involved and and research. He had already done a lot of the research on where this problem came from. And so as we started talking, we thought, man, if we teamed up, this could be really effective. He runs a network of schools, has done the research. We're in the media world. And so his research starts at the beginning. My my stuff starts today. And we basically – pulled the threads together of what the progressive movement has done for 100 years, basically meeting together in the 50s and 60s over the unions and, and what the Supreme Court did. But when you when you add it up, it is an intentional project the left has been immensely successful in. But what makes this book special is the research that David did and that I did – we did – on what the early progressives' goals were, and you never learn it because progressives write the textbooks, so you don't know the actual and history. write the history. So, battle for the American mind. What? So, in other words, was this the water gradually get warmer, David, or did it come in blistering hot? Well, <clears throat> um, I, when I started this project, I had heard a lecture where somebody referred to an uh, issue of the uh, New Republic in 1915, and and the word. We need to capture the plasticity of the child. And that seemed like a weird word to me. So I started looking into what they were trying to do. That's when I realized it really wasn't about indoctrination, which we hear a lot about today. It was about removing the ability of students to learn to think. Because if they can't think, you know, in the the old system of classical education that had been around for 2,000 years, they trained citizens how to think through issues so that they could vote and and so that they could vote without being persuaded by uh, an eloquent tyrant, if you will. And that was the whole thing is that when you train students that way, they're very hard to control. You can't steer the course you want to steer. And the progressives had a very aggressive plan to steer the course. So, Pete, why do we even have any Republicans? Like why, why are there any conservatives? Why did the conservative movement take such root in the 80s and many people think – Poised to reestablish itself in the next midterms. Well, it, it the, a lot of the madness we see is today is not working. Happened gradually and then suddenly. 
I think what David and I talk about in the book is something called the Western Christian paideia, and it's a word that's long forgotten, but it's basically the affections or the vision of a good life amongst our youngest kids. There was enough of a residue from 1776 and churches and communities and schools. If you went into a school on Long Island in 1900, there's a Bible in the classroom. There's prayer being said. There's history being taught of Western civilization. There was enough residue of that amongst parents and grandparents and others and then in church and in communities that the instinct of Americans, the sort of the osmosis and absorbing was there. Hey, I, I want to be free. I believe, you know, God is good. America is good. That could be channeled. You even saw it. You saw it through Reagan. You saw it through Trump. There, that's still there. But how long can we live off the fumes of that paideia before yep. an indoctrination of a generation of cultural Marxist turns out and says, no, God is dead mm-hmm. and America is evil? It's tough to undo that when you're t- – or men are women and women are men when you're teaching that to – five, six, seven, eight-year-olds, and that's how young they're going at it now. Right. And, David, are you surprised? It seems to be the pandemic working to stop this. Could you describe how the pandemic shed a light on this? Well, uh, Pete brought to the book the idea of the COVID-1619 effect, which was that suddenly parents who had previously – just like we think of our congressman, right? The Congress is uh, evil, but our congressman's a good guy, right? right. Well, it, the same. There's a, a parallel to that axiom about the public school. The public schools may not be great, but our public school is good, and that was suddenly a uh, uh, torn wide open. They were able to see it sitting behind their kids on a Zoom camera and see what was actually being taught. And that's why, uh, you know, by by a great providence, Pete and I uh, started this project in March of 2020. So all of if you think about everything that's happened since then, uh, we basically just stepped into the right. We started before all of that was exposed. And as we're writing this book, we couldn't keep up. No. And you're updating chapter after chapter. Things are happening here and there because everything we were writing about seemed to be coming to fruition at a moment. And that is the silver line, Brian. Parents realize it a lot more now, and what we're trying to do with the book is give equip them to make a big choice about how they educate their kids. And then you look at the university, it would happen in Virginia. Yes. I mean, isn't that the, the fundamental with the school board flipped and they said, well, Republicans are just – uh, trying, you know, trying to insert themselves in a purple state. Republicans would never be able to organize and target school boards. Are you kidding? Yeah, and I think it gives me hope that finally the issue of education will translate into a priority in electoral politics. It just hasn't been. It hasn't been for conservatives, Christians, patriots, and as a result, the Democrats and their union allies have ta- – I, I can't underscore this enough – have taken over every single institution of education that controls K-12 through on the public and government side. Every single one. Testing, standards, curriculum, pedagogy, teachers' colleges, you name it, they control it. Which is why our part of the solution is you've got to consider a tactical retreat, leave if you can, find alternatives, and eventually educational choice is going to be critical. And Republicans, conservatives should be running on that as their top issue, because if we lose the kids, we lose the country. And also, what about charter schools? Where do you guys stand on that? Is that a, is that a relevant and uh, ample pushback, David? Well, I think in the battle, as we've called it, and it was great to co-author this with a <clears throat> former military guy. Um, I think in the terms of a battle, you've got to use all the resources that you've got at your disposal. And charter schools are certainly one of those. But I think that 
We are prescribing in the book more of a transformational change than a uh, incremental change. I think it's it's long past time that we do something transformational in education in America. And I think charter schools can help with that. But I think at the at bottom, parents have to take a much more serious look at things. Right. The other thing is they're not being funded now. More and more, of these cities are walking away from charter school funding. That. Which makes absolutely no sense. Because they want the monopoly to continue. The monopoly on the minds, the monopoly on the money, on kids, because outcomes. They lo- Long ago, they've known for decades their schools don't work. Right. They know they don't work. They haven't delivered ex- excellence for, for half a century. And they know it. It is now about consolidation of that power. COVID showed it with union. They feel like they've got open season to push that control. And what David is talking about is playing within that system. You're going to play within their confines. I went to public school. You went to public school, I think, Brian. Yep. We got progressive educations. You may not have known it. I didn't know it. We did. Every assumption of that education was progressive, which is why the classical Christian schools David is 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 helming, they've overturned the apple cart completely to rediscover a form of education that created the miracle moment of 1776. It was classical Christian education that educated our founders. A lot of Scottish, right? Mm-hmm. The Scottish <laughs> influence. Yep. Um, and by the way, I'm so glad I didn't pay attention in school, or I would have been totally screwed. There you go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the upside, I never yeah, thought of it that yeah, way. Yeah, think about that. Uh, the Harvard youth poll you have in your book, only 31% of Americans 18 to 24 have a positive uh, outlook on America. Where does Common Core come in? And remember, Jeb Bush ran on Common Core. Uh, it comes in toward the end as part of the consolidation of federal control, right? So we think of schools as having effectively being local control, local school boards, local local superintendents, uh, state assemblies are setting the prerogatives. Common Core attempted to tie money towards certain standards that states would enact in order to align with the prerogatives of federal educators. And along with that came changes to the SAT, which now aligns to Common Core. But inside all of that Common Core curriculum and prerogatives, were the diversity, equity, inclusion, and all the woke stuff we barely knew anything about at that time. And David, you can add anything to that. You know it well. Well, it's you know it was kind of a backdoor to deal with uh, some of the disparities um, between the various uh, ethnic groups, in that by creating a test you can study for, which the SAT was always supposed to be a test that you couldn't study for, by creating one that you could study for, and that's what the Common Core was, is a set of standards. When you look at the standards. They don't seem that bad, but when you when you see what they're doing, they're taking reasoning, which is what the original SAT measured. They're taking that out because reasoning is not teachable, and they're replacing it with content, and therefore uh, it's really supposed to be leveling the playing field, but it really doesn't do that. I mean some of the talk was, well, rich people can get people to teach them to, uh, how to take the SAT, and it wasn't fair. Uh, there's always going to be an opportunity to do additional uh, training on reasoning mm-hmm. or approaching a test. There's no doubt. I mean, that's that's the reality of money and wealth and inequality yeah. and all that. The idea of the of the SAT was to measure not whether or not the uh, the engine could run, but how well it runs and measuring how well you can reason. That is a reflection of the type of education you got K through 12. We should do better on educating kids K through 12 so they reason the same when they encounter the SAT across all racial backgrounds as opposed to changing the SAT mm-hmm. and making it – dumbing it down so that it goes to the lower common, lowest common denominator. 
Hey, Pete and David, congratulations on the success of the book. Thanks so much for expanding on it here in the studio. Remember, it's Battle for the American Mind, Uprooting a Century of Miseducation. Pete joins us a little bit later. You're listening to a special edition of The Brian Kilmeade Show. This is a Brian Kilmeade Show special presentation. Education in America. More with Brian coming up. All right, back to wrap things up now. Just a, a quick statement on, on patriotism in our country. You cannot go wrong talking about our founding fathers, as well as adding in the frailties of slavery and things like that. And also put it in perspective. They lived in a different time. And people will go back and look at people in 2023, that's you and me, and they'll say, I can't believe you did X, Y, and Z. But you should respect those periods in which people lived. Go back and study it. Don't judge it. I've always believed that. So back to education and, and as opposed to indoctrination. And that brings me to my question for Pete. Pete, I got to ask you, what steps, and by the way, Pete Hexett, three joining us now. Pete, uh, what steps can you make to make sure the parents listening right now get the right kind of education for the kids, education that it's America first rather than, I don't know, indoctrination? Well, the first thing is to be honest with yourself. Uh, don't, don't say, oh, my kid's just fine. My, my school's fine. I think it's okay. Do the work. Go in and ask for, uh, in, you know, walk the halls. Just look at, look at the information coming back in your kid's backpack. Look for the buzzwords, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, climate, environment. You know, there's a lot of different things you can see that give you a sense of what the school's focused on. It's the summer. Like, look at your options. Find out whether or not there's a classical Christian school near you, classicalchristian.org. There are a few on Long Island. There are a bunch in New Jersey. There are a bunch in almost every state. You'd be surprised how many there are and how affordable they are compared to so-called elite options. So I just think you know, check out the series Miseducation of America, the book Battle for the American Mind. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. And the most precious thing we have is our kids and grandkids. And to think that we would allow them to ride off on a yellow school bus hoping they're okay and then counting on deprogramming them, they're too valuable. So I, I find the best option that's truly educating your kids. So I think Pete's 100% right. That's why I wrote the book. That's why it was number one for so long, because parents and kids – Care about education. You want the results. You want the quality. Or else you're not going to get the results in life. Also, you want to know when you drop your kids off, you don't have to worry about it for six, seven hours. You want to be intrigued about what they're intrigued about, not wonder if they're being indoctrinated or coming back different than you want them to be. And I, you know, I was pretty amazed, too, as I had a chance to talk to Condoleezza Rice when she came in. One of the things I asked her, too, is well, what else is a top issue in America, knowing she wants nothing to do with elections? And she said to me, education, she says, I'm shocked how many people come to me. They have no idea about our past or they have a misconstrued idea of what America is about. And this is a woman that grew up in the segregated South. And just the idea and the idea that people might want to overcome and feel like America is a, is a much better place now and better than any place in the world is a fear for a lot of people. So not only do we need education, get the math up, obviously, learn to read better, clearly. How about learn, how about the context of what you're learning? And then have a chance without traveling, because we're not able, not everybody can travel around the world. I mean, I don't think I got, I didn't get a plane, I didn't get on a plane until after college. So not many people are traveling around the world. So, so you sit there and you run down your own country forever. You have a horrible image of the nation which you live in. You feel it's a racist, horrible place. And then you go travel and you bring up that message around the world. When if you travel with open eyes, you'd understand there's a reason why people are trying to get here. But I just think the main, the thing that would answer most of these problems is school choice. Because there will be a school for the marketplace that thinks that America is first. 
that think we are a great country, that think math and reading do matter. And when you get better results, they get more students and people start leaving the public school because they have an agenda that and only then and only then will schools change the way they do things. And will people uh, uh, look at the curriculum and say, OK, yeah, uh, I'm going to hop on the bus. I'm going to take my 12,000, maybe in New Jersey, 7,000 if you're in Iowa, the 7,000 allocated by me by the school dollars that I that I still pay. I'm going to take that to another school. And if you want me back, change it for my next kid. But if you aren't getting it better, I'm sending my next kid. I'm taking that $7,000 out of the public school system, and it's traveling with me to that charter school down the block to Catholic school two miles away. And it'll be worth it. As you'll know, they'll be accountable too because they actually recruit when you go to a private school. They want you to go. As opposed to public schools, you sit and deal with it. And if you don't have any money, you have nowhere to go, well, the school choice will change that. In Iowa, Arizona, in Georgia, in Oklahoma, it's a done deal already. Uh, in Texas, done deal. In Florida, done deal. Your state, too, you should have that, too. I'm Brian Kilmeade. Special thanks to Richard Dreyfus, and, of course, the great Pete Hegseth for helping me out. Brian Kilmeade, show. Special edition. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.